This is Mission.org. So she started as a platform that allowed these multi-location marketers to manage their social media and their reputation efficiently and effectively at the corporate level and the location level. Over the last couple of years, though, based on how fast the space is moving and based on the needs of our target, we've evolved our product tremendously. We now offer not just only social media and reputation management, but local search management. We do ads. We do chatbots. We kind of do all of it. A lot of life is now being lived in the digital space. Therefore, companies need to ensure that they are being well represented digitally. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Jeremy Bergeron, your host, and today's guest, Monica Ho, the Chief Marketing Officer at Sochi, joins us today to share her perspective about what's happening across the marketing landscape. Monica believes the best marketers, as she says, are a little bit of scientists and a little bit of artists. Let's tune in for her take on the evolution of marketing. What do you get most amped about? What are you most passionate about in terms of being like a marketing leader in that position, in that role? What I get most amped about, I think, is how dynamic digital marketing is right now. It's, it is a challenge uh, because you're always having to learn something new, be on your toes. But I, I think I do well in an environment like that. I, I don't like when an environment gets stagnant. I, I tend to kind of lose my motivation. Mm. And so it is the dynamic nature, how, how fast the, the space is moving, which gets me amped. Beautiful. You've also been in the role over four years, which that tells me a lot about your skills. The CMO role, as you know, is probably one of the shortest tenure roles in the C-suite. So anyone that's been in the seat for a year, that's impressive. Two, three, four, very impressive. So I'd love if we have time to talk on how you've been able to like solidify your role as CMO and, and be kind of entrenched in the success that's been created there. I know there's a lot of success. There's some magic in staying in that seat. Getting there is a whole adventure. Staying there is another adventure. So I'd love to talk about that. And then what are you betting on for the future? Like trends, tech, approach, strategy, any of those things? Like what are you betting on? Well, I'm betting on marketers needing to continue to add tech to our tech stack to be better marketers. I think with as many channels as we're now having to manage, as many communications, technology needs to be there so we can do it scalable, we can do it efficiently. However, that poses all kinds of different challenges because now you have all kinds of tech that you need to manage. Are we leveraging everything? Is it integrating? So I'm betting that that continues, but I I think it's gotta get a lot simpler. We're gonna have to see lots of consolidation if you look at the MarTech landscape, you see these really scary images of how much tech is out there. Vast. It's that complicated for a marketer. It's like, oh, there's this new thing that's out and I need that thing. I think a lot of us will start waiting to be kind of on the cutting edge until some bigger technology actually brings it into their, their, own, their own stack. So everything works off of kind of an, not so much always an all-in-one, but some of it needs to start working together pretty seamlessly versus just attaching all these components. So I think that's that's definitely something that will continue. That's great. I love that. Let's get into the Salesforce, a couple of Salesforce questions. These questions are pulled from Salesforce's once a year state of marketing report. So I love some of the stats they pulled because they're they're getting insights from a lot of marketing leaders across industries. And the percentage on this one's interesting. It says that 72% of marketers say meeting customer expectations is more difficult than it was a year ago. How has this played out for you, especially when you're talking about multi-location businesses that are all over? I mean, tens, 20, hundred, thousands of locations all over. How has this played out for you and, and your customers? And what is your team doing to tackle this consistent challenge of rising customer expectations? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's one that all businesses are dealing with. I think the the rise in customer expectations is happening primarily 
because of what the pandemic did, right? It, it forced us all to be home, forced us all to be in our homes and work became largely remote and digital. And so what that did to consumers is it made all consumers very comfortable with digital channels. And so at the point prior to the pandemic, you had a lot of consumers that were just comfortable doing things the way that they've always done them. They're shopping the way they've always done and that was fine. And then you had this emerging segment of people wanting new tools and apps and they all converged when the pandemic happened. And so with consumers getting a lot more comfortable with digital channels, they're shopping more, they're now asking questions, they're using those tools. And so the volume of that digital communications, digital conversations is at a point where I think one, marketers weren't ready for it. And then two, I think the expectation from consumers is that my experience online in your app should be very similar to what I'm gonna experience offline in store. And I don't think a lot of brands do that well today. So I think that's primarily the, the big challenge. At Soshi, it was a blessing and a curse a little bit for us. Mm -hmm. uh, that change in behavior, that rush to digitally transform your business for marketers was huge for us. So we saw a surge of new demand, which is awesome. But I also think we weren't exactly ready for everything that these marketers needed. You had mentioned, you know, our segment, we really specialize on marketers that have a unique challenge because they're large brands, but they service out of hundreds and thousands of locations. And so they came on to our solution, our platform, leveraging the tools that we had available, but then they wanted more. Well, why doesn't it do this? How about that? And so now we've got lots of new requests. We've got innovation coming out every week, every month. And that's a, the whole new challenge that we're trying to make sure that we're covering and doing a good job at. Mm, that's awesome. Another question. Only 36% of marketers strongly agree that the training they receive from their company sets them up for success. Thoughts on that? Completely true. And uh, this is a challenge because especially right now when marketers are under the gun to change a lot of the things they've done, they have to hire new talent, especially those that have this, you know, digital marketing experience. I mean, it'd be great to say, well, let's take the, the two months it's going to take for you to onboard, ramp up, take your time. That's not the case. I think a lot of, of marketers, a lot of people coming into especially digital marketing roles, it's a little bit of onboarding, a little bit trial by, by fire. And so I think marketers, people bringing on new talent, they have to be clear about that. And I, and I think, you know, be clear to your employees that, hey, I'm not expecting you to know everything, but you're going to have to do the job and learn the job at the same time. Marketers need to start moving faster into new technologies that can make training better. Um, there's lots of educational platforms that allow you to do those trainings on demand. So maybe I'm busy at work all day, but I'm, I'm working from home. Maybe I want to take that session later at night when the kids are in bed. You know, allowing that flexibility, I think, is important. Mm, that's great. I also am curious about your path into the CMO seat, because, I mean, according to LinkedIn, you started off as a marketing analyst at Monster Worldwide. Shout out to those folks. And then you climb the ranks in your account. You got engagement manager, senior director. Then you jumped in as senior vice president of marketing. So you, there's a transition from individual contributor to marketing leader happening. But I just kind of want to hear your like, I always love like the genesis of marketing for you. What was the beginning? What was the love affair with marketing that started? Was it prior to Monster Worldwide school, book, mentor? What was the, the spark that lit marketing up for you? I was always fascinated with a job. I don't, I don't know how to, how to describe that. When I was in high school, I was in track and field on the Palm Squad. I mean, I did all of those things, but I also worked full time my junior and senior year. I was managing a retail boutique called Contempo Casuals, which is an old brand that didn't make it. But I managed a store, a boutique in a mall, and um, I did that for two years and loved it. I was really fascinated by business. When I went to college, I continued to work in retail. And actually, I was always in a rush. I, I graduated college in three and a half years, got out of college, and uh, was interested in the marketing analyst role at Monster because one... Monster was really one of the first challenger brands for digital, right? It was recruitment, but online. When at that point in time, and I'm aging myself, a lot of recruitment was happening in Yellow Pages and, or sorry, not Yellow Pages, newspaper. So I was fascinated by that. I loved the digital part. 
But then the the role was about data, taking data and then, you know, putting together marketing plans. So I got into that, loved the data and analysis, but didn't love that I wasn't interacting with many people. I was kind of behind the scenes. Mm, okay. So actually my my LinkedIn isn't, I mean, I tried to make it condensed, mm-hmm. but I went from a marketing analyst role actually to what we called at the time an e-consultant, which was a selling role. So I got into sales um, because I was fascinated with websites, internet yellow pages, things that businesses could now use to market their business. I was selling those solutions, but I was also educating them on why they needed to make that transformation. Uh, so I did the sales role for a couple of years, figured out that marketing, they weren't giving me what I needed to be a good seller. So then I went back to marketing and did a, a marketing slash account management type of a, a role. So kind of hybrid. And then at one point in that part, I ended up launching a digital arm, a completely digital arm of our agency called 15 Miles, which was just focused on digital marketing for a local business. And then I stayed in marketing since then. Wow. So Monica, you have a lot of experience building and scaling startups. Tell us about kind of the path to being this marketer evolving kind of because the role as a marketer has evolved as you've kind of been working with these different companies. How did your role as a marketer evolve as your companies grew and how did you land at Sochi? Let's talk about that too. Sure. The evolution of the marketing role is is interesting. I think it's very different when you're in a marketing role in the seat in a fast moving startup. And I think one of the reasons why some marketers are short lived in that seat is because they don't realize that every stage of growth, you're actually playing a different role. Your role is completely different. So as you mentioned before, I've been in a CMO seat long terms, right? My prior role, I was in the seat for, I was at the company for seven years, but in the CMO seat for four. And right now I'm at Sochi, been in the seat for four years. And it was because I, I knew that was coming. It's something that I can manage with, manage around, I should say. But as your company is scaling from say 10 million to 50 million, that role is very different. You've got to be very hands-on. You've got to be part of building your team. It's very tactical from 50 to 100 million, for instance, and I'm making big leaps here sure. for, to keep it concise, but that's a completely different role. You have to step back. You're going to be a little bit more oversight and you're running more strategy. Um, and that's just, it's hard for some marketers to make that transition, but it's real. So I've been in the seat for four years. I've probably had five different roles as a marketer in the company. Wow. No, I, I love the, I love the, and I think it's so accurate, you know, because I mean, a business scaling from, you know, zero to seven figures and seven to eight figures, eight to nine, there's so many layers of infrastructure and changes and shifts and the people that get you to the first seven figures, or maybe you're not the same, they get you to the next eight, nine and, and so on. And so being a marketer, having to evolve through those stages and really, you said it, you said it well, it's like to be able to step back and then be able to cultivate others and kind of, you really got to start to trust and align with others. And and that can be a, a difficult dance, I think, if you're so used to being in the in the weeds and being the tactician and being as involved. And as you grow and scale, you can't do that as much. And that's an interesting dance, I think, that you've yeah you've been able to play that well. So she was recently named one of the fastest growing companies and one of the best startup employers. I love that. Tell us more about Sochi. Like, what is your product offering? What are your key kind of focus areas at Sochi right now? Yeah. So Sochi's a a SaaS platform. We're in that mess of MarTech. Our platform's a little bit different and unique because we are very honed in on a specific audience, which is multi-location marketers that are trying to do digital marketing well and effective. Why that's important is because, again, they've got a large brand that they've got to maintain online, but then they've got a lot of different locations that you know, local owners want to take part. You've got consumers in the mix at all different areas. And so it's a bit challenging. So Sochi started as a platform that allowed these multi-location marketers to manage their social media and their reputation efficiently and effectively at the corporate level and the location level. Over the last couple of years, though, based on how fast the space is moving and based on the needs of our target, we've evolved our product tremendously. We now offer not just only social media and reputation management, but local search management. We do ads. We do chatbots. We kind of do all of it. And the reason why that's happening is because a lot of these marketers are hoping for an all-in-one solution, not just to make their lives easy, but 
the data component, the insights that are driving out of these different channels, you need to be able to leverage that data into meaningful insights that you can use to optimize your programs, make things better. So one, that's important. But two, I think a lot of marketers are realizing that digital isn't as siloed. A lot of these channels play off of each other. And so insight that I'm seeing in search might show up in social in a different way. I might also start to see it in my reputation and reviews and being able to see all of that and then have a workflow where I'm getting things to different departments, different people is really important. Can you talk about any of the brands you work with? Yeah, we, we work with a lot of large brands that are highly recognizable. Some of uh, the ones that come top of mind, Bar Louie, um, Anytime Fitness, Ace Hardware, uh, to name a few. Wow, but yeah, we, we have about 700 uh, large brands on the platform. Okay, wow. What challenges are facing multi-location companies today, now in 2022? Can you speak to more of that? Yeah, I think it's it's that same challenge of rising consumer expectations. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it has to do with the fact that they're now very comfortable with digital channels and they have a very high expectation that brands and businesses know how to use these channels effectively. One of the most challenging of these issues that we see a lot is in social, whether you're talking social media like Instagram or you're talking social as in, you know, a consumer can now put content out there about a brand for everyone to see. And that's happening in ratings and reviews. It's happening in questions that are being posed. I think a lot of times marketers, number one, aren't aware that these things are happening because there's so many different channels that can happen on. Maybe they're paying attention to the big ones, but there's dozens, if not hundreds of other smaller sites. So awareness is a big one. Appropriately responding. So it's not just being, oh, somebody left a comment. Somebody's asking a question. Now they're expecting that consumer wants a response and it's taking marketers days and weeks to get a response back. It's almost like a consumer showing up, standing in line and no one's at the checkout. So frustrating. Where Soshi's coming in is we're building those tools so that awareness and a tool set is there so that response can happen efficiently and effectively. Are you leveraging AI, that kind of thing as well, to kind of automate that? For, we are. For brands? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's really machine learning. So to give you an example in ratings and reviews, imagine you're a business and somebody leaves you a review and they're like, I hate this place. They, they're terrible. A lot of times a business owner will take that personally. Maybe they're mad. So two things. Number one, you don't want them to respond emotionally, right? That's out there for everybody to see. Um, but but two, you want to make sure that that response can be quick and effective. Some business owners have to take a pause and they really want to think about what they say, right? In Soshi's platform, we let the corporate entity and the location know immediately when a review it has, has happened. And you can filter by bad reviews, good reviews. Our system then has machine learnings built in where it will give you recommended responses based on what that consumer said. And it can be tailored by corporate to say certain things or leave certain keywords out. So if I'm a business owner, it's like, oh, I like that one. Let me customize it a bit. Boom, it's out, right? And so you're giving that business owner some guardrails to be successful and meet that consumer's expectation. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, you talked a little bit about this kind of the need for this two-way communication, which you, you just kind of touched on a bit. I want to unpack that a bit more because there's the technology play, of course, where we can automate a lot of this stuff. And there's also the human touch still kind of needed and also expected at the consumer level and the customer level. Has that balance work for these multi-location brands? Because that scale, there's so many of them. There's lots of eyeballs and ears and lots of content, lots of things being said and lots of chatter. And so they need the technology and they need the human touch. How do they balance that well? Yeah. And different businesses are, are handling this challenge differently. There's not, there's not one solution for all. Mm -hmm. So the way that we refer to this is there's a centralized approach and there's a decentralized approach. Centralized means, you know, corporate wants to see everything and then they're going to build a marketing team to respond to all these things that are happening. And you have to have a, a you know, a sizable marketing team to do that. That's a great strategy, but you lose a little bit of that local personality, authenticity with that. It's still really good, but it's not great. You've got the decentralized model where you've got some brands that are very large, a very good example, Ace Hardware, 5,000 different locations where they have a decentralized model. Corporate has oversight. They're looking at things. They provide tools. 
but they're activating their locations to take part. So they'll go to a location, give them a tool that says, hey, you've got three reviews, two are bad. Here's some recommended responses. They also encourage them to post on behalf of their own business, show their local personality in their social media and, and give that local flavor to their community. And again, I think that's also a really great strategy. Why I like the decentralized approach, although it's harder to manage at the marketing level, right? Because you're losing a little bit of control of that brand. With the technology tools that are now now in place, you can do that effectively mm. and then arm those locations to be that extension of your brand. And then again, you've got that local authenticity, that community building piece as well. That's great. Where do marketers go wrong in localized marketing? We just did a, we did a Forrester paper on this about a year ago, and it was called the localized marketing imperative. And what was so fascinating, we did a survey of multi-location marketers. Like, do you know that this is a consumer expectation and that, you know, you should be localizing, you know, your, your approach to your digital marketing. And it's, it's great. I mean, it was a great survey because nine out of 10 marketers say, yeah, we know we, we love to do this, but their challenge was they didn't feel like they had the resources to be effective and resources in two buckets, people and that the experience, the digital experience to do that well, and then also the, the dollars, right, to make that happen. What the Forrester analysis showed though is where the gap is, is that a lot of marketers weren't realizing that there was now new technology solutions that could bring those two things together so that a small team could do a lot of things well and localize conversations. When you think about success stories that come kind of top of mind, when you think of companies who are dominating their local strategies, any stories or examples? Yeah, that's, that's great. We actually get this question a lot. We get it from brands. Who's doing this well? What does good look like? And as marketers, we love a benchmark because it's, it's I mean, I've got a CEO that's like, hey, is that good or bad? <laughs> so right, I, I right. need to tell him. Is this good? Is this Here, bad? Yeah, right. here's the data that says it's good, right? Yeah. So we actually started to do some research. It's third-party validated research. We started it four years ago. We call it the Localized Marketing Benchmark Report. We actually are just getting ready to launch the new uh, 2022 benchmarks. But we originally developed this whole benchmark methodology with the Local Search Association, which is now called Locology. And we partnered together to do this because, again, these are the, the questions we often get. The, the channels are moving fast. What does good look like? in both ratings and reviews, social media, et cetera. So we uh, went out, we developed the study, we audit hundreds of multi-location businesses every year. And we basically say, what does the average look like? What's a benchmark? And those that are above benchmark, who are they and what are they doing differently, right? So we can all learn from that. So in this year's report, we've got you know our top 10 um, overall leaders, and then we recognize leaders by big channels, search, social, reviews, et cetera. Some of the leading examples, Bar Louie was a leader in social and primarily they got that designation because they're really quick in their response. They are intentional about how they use social media. So like a lot of brands, they put out content, they push the content, but they're very thoughtful and quick when they respond back. So they're ready for that two-way communication. And they do it not only at the corporate level, but if you look at their, they've got all of their local pages, every single Bar Louie looks a little bit different. Um, so they're bringing that local flavor and I think it works really well. When you look at a place like Search, Anytime Fitness came up large in that one, primarily because I think what they're recognizing is that Search isn't just about Google. Google is going to be where I probably end up and conduct that search, but Google is aggregating content from a lot of different sources. And they're using all of that data, that knowledge graph to determine who is most credible, who is most trustworthy, et cetera. And so I think Anytime Fitness has done a good job of managing their consistency of their business information across a lot of different channels. And they really pay attention to their local consumer reviews, which is really big as well. Those are two great brands. Let's talk about social media trends a little bit. Social plays a huge role in local marketing strategies, as we just talked about. What social media trends are you most bullish on in 2022? Yeah, I think there's there's two really important trends that I love talking about. One is I really think social becomes the heart of the post-pandemic shopping experience. Um, I do think that marketers need to realize that there is so much happening in social. Um, so for instance, just a, a couple of stats, 
78% of consumers now discover a new product or service via social every day. That's crazy. I mean, it's not in the commercial any longer. It's actually happening on a social channel, standing in line at Starbucks. I see a swimsuit, I buy the swimsuit, right? So that's really fascinating. But then the amount of purchase activity that's happening in social. One out of two social media users, which let's be honest, it's all of us. We all have a social channel we love, um, has made a purchase via social. A third of that is happening on ads, which is so crazy. I mean, ads have really lost a lot of their effectiveness when you think about digital. In social, they look like content. So organic or paid are very effective strategies to play in, in social. So that's one of those trends, that post-pandemic shopping experience. I think brick and mortar is still going to be there. It's going to live on. We love our brick and mortar stores, but those businesses that are successful moving forward are going to recognize that social is an extension of that shopping experience. And then the second trend is really about communities. What makes digital marketing so interesting is there's a lot that marketers can do. We can push a lot of content out and reach really targeted audiences. That's awesome. But at the same time, your consumer can do the same thing. There's a lot of user-generated content and content creators now that want to talk about your brand. And whether that's happening in social media or that's happening on YouTube or, or in search, I think marketers need to be aware of it. And I think one of the trends that I would love to see I'm starting to see it. I don't know how quickly it's going to catch on is businesses and marketers starting to learn, starting to learn how to effectively leverage those communities, how to leverage that two-way communication for marketing efforts. Hmm. Is there an example? I've got a couple of, of examples. So one is a, a traditional one and one is a non-traditional one. Okay. So if you look at retail today, and I'm fascinated by this. I have a teenage daughter. She will be looking at something online and she doesn't look at the curated photos, the professionally taken photos. She goes all the way down to the bottom because she wants to see if consumers have left reviews and shows you know, pictures of themselves wearing the dress or whatever she's looking at. And there's a lot of sites that are now using that. They're actually bringing up those photos that consumers are posting instead of using these curated photos. It's super fascinating. It's kind of taking that risk out of it for a consumer because, you know, you you see the model wearing that thing and you're like, oh, that's going to look great. And you order it and you're like, OK, that wasn't a good choice. <laughs> I think that is a, is a great example. But I, I hear from a lot of businesses that we work with like, OK, well, retail's kind of sexy. I'm selling HVAC or I'm selling something else. How is that going to work for me? A non-sexy example is there's a brand called Easy Lunchboxes. They literally make different lunchboxes that your kids take to school, you take for lunch. You know, meal planning's big these days, but it's such a, a niche kind of thing. What they've done is they've created a community on Instagram where they have their, you know, consumers post pictures of how they're using their lunchboxes. And it's it's on fire. I mean, there's they've got such an active community. They use it on their website. They use those exact posts as advertising. And it's fantastic. I mean, it's it it it's that type of community building and leveraging that community to speak for your product, I think is not being leveraged enough today in marketing. Is, is there maybe a more controversial trend that you're betting on or not betting on? So I am not a big believer in this influencer trend, especially the younger consumers. They're not believers that of celebrities being influencers. I think they question it a lot. They understand that a lot of them are sponsored. I do believe in the very micro influencer, the community influencer, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the local athlete who's a big, you know, fitness buff. And if Anytime Fitness or another fitness brand leveraged that person in that local community, that could be really effective. I also think um, when you think about micro influencers, you have to think about somebody as every day as a consumer posting a review. We like to think about these influencers on social, the Kim Kardashians or whatever. I just I just don't think that appeal is there anymore. You've got this whole community of things. Like if you look at Google, Google reviews, like we all use them, but they have a community that's called local guides. Mm -hmm. And these are consumers like you and I mm -hmm. that they, you know, basically remind that they visited places and asked them for reviews. There's also things like Yelpers, Yelper elites. I believe strongly that those are the new micro influencers. And those are the exact communities we need to be leveraging. Get away from the celebrity um, influencers. That's that's something I, that I heard recently. There was a panel with a bunch of top brands like Budweiser and 
Coca-Cola, Gary, Gary V was on there as well. And he talked about that similarly. He was saying kind of like the days are, are of just giving a bag of money to a celebrity to, to do the thing. He's like, that's going to go away. And he was very loud about that fact. And interestingly, he said a lot of, and I'd love your thoughts on what do you think about brands that are creating characters, creating a persona, right? Like you have, of course, Geico and some of these others, the Clydesdale and the Polar Bear, et cetera. Do you think that we're going to see more brands start to create characters, icons within within their own brand? And you said the micro-influencer is another piece, but what about just creating a character? So I've got uh, mixed views on characters. I think um, you really have to know your audience and know if that is something that they're okay with. So I think that's from, from a marketing standpoint, that's one. And, and if you are going to have a character, what are they there for? You know, I think commercials characters have played out really well because they tell a story, they represent your brand. But when you take that character into digital channels, what are they doing? What are they, how are they representing your brand? I think so you have to, again, know if, if a character is, is something that appeals to your audience. And then what is that character doing? I think a lot of that trend is because brands are trying to humanize mm-hmm. their, their um, solution. Right. But I think that could go really bad, or it could it could go really well. I'm not I'm not I'm not sold on it yet. Salesforce they use a lot of characters. Um, I was just on a launch call yesterday where Six Sense is introducing a character to talk about some of their revenue tools. Um, again, I'm I'm not sure yet about that. That's interesting. Yeah, um, we use Six Sense as well. Is that is that a platform that you're familiar with as yes, well? Yeah, it's one of our bigger platforms that we're really leveraging in. Awesome. On that note, what are some of the Martech you rely on? So we're uh, we've got a couple of really important technologies. I mean, like everyone, we have marketing automation. We're using Pardot, um, okay. very well integrated with Salesforce. A lot of them are, um, but we also have things like SalesLoft, which allows us to do quick, easy cadences through our sales team. Uh, we're leveraging Visible, which is a technology that allows us to do multi-touch attribution, which is important. What's it called? Uh, it's called Visible. Visible. Yeah. And it allows us to do multi-touch attribution, which is important because back in the day, marketers love to say, oh, this sale came from this one thing. Mm-hmm. Well, as we all know, consumers don't just look at one thing. It's multiple channels, multiple touches. So through a multi-touch technology like that, I can see, okay, this event was our first touch for the sale, but then this research paper brought them into our funnel, et cetera, right? So we have visible, and then now we've added Sixth Sense on top of it. Sixth Sense is really important for us for intent data. So through visible and some of our other technologies, we can see engagement when a consumer identifies themselves to us. I downloaded a paper, I'm John Smith, right? Now I can see you. I know who you are. In digital, there are a lot of anonymous users, people that are just popping around your site, they're checking things out, but they don't give you their information. Through Sixth Sense, we're able to see that anonymized information, that anonymized engagement, and we can tie it through IP and other data to specific businesses or brands. I don't know who you are, but I know what business you work for. And that's extremely helpful for me. It helps me know when a specific account might be ready for us to engage them or an account might be cold, right? And that's important for marketers, right? With all of these digital channels, all these tools, we can get really annoying. Email, social, I mean, you're, you're everywhere, great. But if you're not really targeted to a need, I have a need at this time, you're gonna get ignored or worse, you're gonna get annoying and then I'm gonna block you. And we've gotta be careful about that as marketers, right? Mm, I like that. I'm gonna check out Visible, that sounds interesting. You've shared in a past podcast that your mantra is F average, be legendary. I personally love this very much. Tell me why this is your mantra. Tell us more about this. Well, I think it's about just hitting status quo and not being okay with that. I think a lot of us marketers, you know, you're just, oh, I need to, I need to hit the benchmark. I need to be as good as that other person. And that's almost like the finish line. And, and I don't think that's, that's right. I think we have to keep challenging each other and challenging our businesses to keep thinking, how do we even do it better than that, right? And because we're in a space that isn't static, the channels aren't staying still, consumers aren't staying still, we have to keep moving, we have to keep doing it better. 
And I think it's just a reminder, don't rest on your laurels. What can I do next? And I really firmly believe that. It, I think it's it's key to being successful in marketing or any other field in this day and age. Is it a goal for you to, to take a business through acquisition, through IPO? Like what's your kind of personal professional goal around like how big do you want to get as a CMO? Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've really become addicted to this startup um, stage from an early stage where you're in a series A, maybe sub $10 million, but finding a technology or an offering that you know is, is needed, being able to shepherd that um, through growth. And I really love that kind of a, a company. You could say a lot of it is, oh, it's, it all depends on the technology. It does. I mean, I've, I've got to be bought into the technology, but really what makes that all successful, the big secret is the people. Do you know how to hire the right people? Do you know how to motivate them? Do you know how to make sure that collaboration is happening? Because when that stuff breaks down, I don't care if you have the best product in the world, it's never going to get off the ground. It's never going to get to a, a growth stage. Um, and I think that's where a lot of these really great ideas and really great products suffer. In the vein of hiring a high performance team, what, what goes into this for you, your process of like find, not finding people, but just when you are looking to bring people on, like what's your approach to bringing on high performers? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I spend a lot of time and I'm really involved in hiring my leaders, my directors, my managers. What's really been something that I've looked for is someone that knows how to turn the, the knobs and pull the levers, like they've gotten close enough to it. So I, I know they can get very detailed, but they can also pull back and be very strategic. Um, so there are, are different questions that I'll ask that tell me, can they get down in the weeds and then can they pull themselves up? I think that's a really important skill set uh, in a growing business. Number two, I also think what's really important is that they have grit, meaning, especially in a startup, sometimes you don't have a very defined role and you've got to kind of create it. You've got to see the opportunity. You've got to keep moving. You also have to have a little bit of skin, meaning you can't be so sensitive. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to get feedback and maybe it's not said the right way, but I look for people with a little bit of grittiness to them. And those are my early teams. And honestly, some make it through from that really early stage. That's my team. And they can transition into the, the later stages. Some don't. At a later stage, you are looking for some different talent. But, but I still believe very firmly in grit and somebody being able to be in the weeds and pull themselves out as being really important skill sets. I love that. That's cool. Let's get into the lightning round. That's some fun questions here. Um, before I get into this lightning round, I want to mention Salesforce, our sponsor for the show. When you think about the world's number one CRM, most people think about Salesforce. And if you want to learn more about marketing and engagement, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. First question for Monica Ho, CMO at Sochi. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. What are you personally betting on for the future? It could be personal or professional, but what are you betting on for the future? I'm betting on the, the marketing role continuing to get more and more challenging. I think the marketing role needs to be a bit of a, a scientist and a bit of an artist. And I don't think that's going to change. I think it's going to get even, even more that, that type of a role. And I, I think for marketers, we just have to start getting really comfortable with all of the technical aspects of the MarTech solutions we're using, the data that's coming out of it. How do we drive insight? But then we also have to balance that with creative, being creative, giving ourselves the space and the time to um, think differently about some of the challenges that we're facing and not get stuck in, you know, uh, just average answers, I guess. And, and that's really challenging. Uh, I think that you had said, you know, early on, I mean, the CMO role is one of the short, most short-lived executive positions. And, and I think that is, that's true for a lot of reasons, but I think it's because, you know, we, we have to keep challenging ourselves to learn our craft, to stay on top of our craft and understand how it's evolving and be on our toes. I love that answer. I, I had, we had um, Ana Viega, CMO for NI here. Do you know Ana? Yeah. You know Ana? Oh, yeah, I do. I, I'm National Instruments. Yeah, I'm pretty close to some of their leadership team oh, over there. Cool, yeah. cool. So she came in studio and a great, amazing human and awesome, awesome story. But she talked about that a little bit as well because she was an engineer and then 
is now CMO. And so, and I, I firmly believe you're spot on. I think long gone are the days where you can be a marketing leader and just be the artist or just be the attack the, the science in that part. You really got to balance both of those well to be successful, I think, in the role now. And like you said, that's not going away. You have to be able to dance with the art and the science of things and at scale. And that makes it incredibly challenging. And I love your, your language around that. The role is going to get you more challenging. And so that's also a testament to, to your skill, being able to be in the seat for as long as you have been. You're doing that well. You're, you're playing the art and science of it well and also leading, um, which is a, a challenge in and of itself. If you had to build a marketing team from scratch tomorrow, what role are you hiring first and why? I would hire first my content marketer. I think content is so critical, especially when you're talking about a new technology that doesn't fit in a box. You've got to educate. What is this thing? Why do I need it? And I think we can't overlook the need to educate. It's such a critical role that we play as marketers. And so my content marketer is my number one hire. But as soon as you have content, you're going to need to promote that content. You need to get it out. We need to learn from, you know, where it is getting, you know, used. Um, so my next would be probably campaign management, uh, demand general. This day, I always, I've gotten a different answer when I've asked this question. And I love it. You're the first person that said con a content marketer would be the first role. And I, I personally, of course, being in the world of content, I love that answer. That's awesome. Okay. Wendy's and Chipotle join a growing number of companies and brands exploring the potential of virtual worlds. What do you make of this? Oh, it's the metaverse. I mean, it's a hot topic. Everybody wants to talk about it. Um, there's so many things about the metaverse that are just so out in the future. It's, mm -hmm. it's out there. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, it's one of those things that as a marketer, you can't ignore innovation and where the space may be going. And when you, when you talk about brands that are entering this space, there are really interesting ways that you could take advantage of the metaverse that is really tangible. Like, for instance, there are certain brands that have um, started to use AR or virtual reality. So there are brands where I could go on today and I could try on a lipstick in the comfort of my home. And the lipstick is close to the color because I've bought product this way. And I love that. I mean, I'm, I'm virtual, but I'm trying on product through my video. You know, there's live streaming events. There's all kinds of really interesting things like that, that marketers should start exploring. Are you going to, you know, make a profit on this? Is this going to drive an ROI? No, it's not about that. I think it's about learning, testing and learning so that when the space is ready for some of these things, you have a little bit of knowledge to be dangerous. If you wait and see, again, resting on your laurels, you're going to be behind. And then you're going to you're going to be asked why we're behind and why didn't we know this? Well, because you didn't get started sooner. So I think again, some of those things marketers roll their eyes like, "Oh god, you know, it's not going to happen." Of course, it's not going to happen today. It will happen eventually, but we have to start testing and learning some of these things today. So we're ready. I love that. I mean, I feel, I feel like you probably are getting hit with a lot of questions from you know, the Ace Hardwares and the you know the fitness brands and all the brands you're working with um, about this. I mean, they're they're coming to you and saying, "What what do we do with this?" So what are you kind of sharing? What are you telling them to say to Hey, have a seat at the table, start testing. Are you giving them more than that or? Yeah, what are you sharing with your customers about this stuff? Because I'm sure they're asking you about it. Yeah, I think this is where, again, content and education take uh -huh. a big, big uh -huh. part. So at Soshi, we take a lot of time to keep our eyes on the trends, look at the, you know, look at what the channels are doing, what are other brands doing? And we, we have a, a podcast. We also have um, a blog post called The Local Memo. And it's literally just a recap of all of the new things that are happening. And we're trying to make that as easily digestible for our employees and our customers um, because you have to be, you need to know what's going on. And then we educate them. We, we say like, okay, so she does certain things in our platform. Sometimes those technologies are too future looking. We don't have a solution today, but that doesn't mean we don't talk about them. We talk about them because they're important. You know, something's happening. And how should you as a marketer, what should you know about it? And if you get questions, how do you respond to those questions? So it's just about, you know, being educated, keeping on top of the trends. And I think that's that's a role we play. What impresses you? I think what impresses me is somebody that can speak really well, but can also execute. I think that's a very different thing. Sometimes I think sometimes you have people 
that know how to speak to things and they can ex they can describe it really well and they're you know a lot of people listen to them but when it comes down to execution they don't know how to get it done and i find people that can do both really interesting and i try to surround myself with as many of those people as i can mm, that's great if you had access to a time machine where and when would you go Past, i would go into future? the future okay. yeah okay. i would love to see what's coming again i I am very interested and try to grasp as quickly as I can some of the newer things so that I don't get surprised. So I would love to take a peek into the future and then come back and just know I'm ready for it. <laughs> okay. Um, what is success for you? Really, um, I think it comes down to making not only the company, but the people around me successful. And I think that comes from, you know, being lucky to have had a lot of people pull me up in my career and give me advice. And um, I, I believe a lot in that. And I think when you can raise somebody up and they're successful, they're moving in their career and you're actually getting a business to, you know, a growth stage or, you know, to the next growth stage, I think that's success. And I don't think success is earned and that's it. I think success is something you have to earn and keep re-earning. And that's something that I, pr I hold pretty close. What's your favorite app on your phone? Oh, gosh. Um, I probably would have to say it's got to be Instagram or Facebook. Okay. Um, I still, I don't have a lot of time, but when I do, it's I'm checking those two. I, I just need to see what's going on, but probably those two. Oh, and maybe um, Down Dog. I use the Down Dog app. I yoga? do yoga okay. three times a week, um, religiously at home, because again, during, you know, as we've been remote, I haven't really been able to go out, had a little t tennis elbow. So yoga's kind of been that thing. Okay. Okay. What's a skill you believe everyone should have? Being a, an effective listener. I knew you were uh, going to say that. That's a great answer. And it's so funny because it seems so simple, but yep. there are so many people that just don't know how to listen. And um, they're really quick to tell you the answer. And um, I think if people just slowed down a bit to listen, I think it would make our conversations, it would make connections, a lot of things so much better. Mm, I, that's, that continues to be my all-time favorite answer. And I think as I've interviewed tons of CMOs across industries and all over at the highest levels, and there are certain ones that say listening that, and I'm starting to realize that it really is the, it's something that if you cultivate this as a marketing leader, it can be a superpower. And I'm seeing this now. I mean, of course, I'm seeing your career and others that I just respect. And I'm like, it's not that they know some magic thing. It's actually that they listen. It's like, that's really important and powerful. So I love that answer. And I think it continues to be one of those table stakes things for, for, for leaders in general, but marketing leaders, it's so important because I mean, you're talking about your team customers, you're talking about your family, you're talking about your, I mean, it's li literally, it's so important. And so I love that. Um, if you could effortlessly pick up a skill in an instant, what would it be? Being a better writer. Okay. So I am a fantastic editor, Okay. but I really struggle writing. And it's been something that has plagued me since college where love to focus on a headline, I'll spend hours on it. And then it just takes me forever. And, you know, I've, I've tried all kinds of techniques. Don't do the headline, do the headline last. But I, I, I can't, I can't get past it. And I struggle on a blank sheet of paper writing an article. I would rather choke down Pepto-Bismol or do something else like that. Um, it's horrible for me. I love to edit, but I, if I could, I would love to be just a very, very great writer. Last question, I'm gonna slide this one in. What is your final advice for emerging marketing leaders today? For emerging marketing leaders, I think surrounding yourself with a great community. I think back in the day, we used to talk about mentors. I think mentors are very powerful, but I think it's about surrounding yourself with other marketers. It could be from the same industry or different industries, but we are all learning. And I think if you can tap into, whether it's a small community, a large one, it is so invaluable because you're constantly learning new things that they're looking into, lessons learned, we all screw up. So being, you know, able to share those screw ups, learn from them, take a little bit from others. I mean, I think that is what is going to keep us all on our toes and being better marketers. We've got to learn from each other. We've got to be open to that as well. 
And, and so there's, there's so many great communities out there. There's ones that are paid and, and they're not all bad. There's some great ones. I mean, Salesforce has a great community. They, they purchased the CMO club, uh, which was a, an organically grown community, which was fantastic. They've got a large chapter here in Austin that I'm part of. Um, and they've taken that and it's a great community. Um, and there's, there's many others, but they're so valuable. Monica, thank you so much for being here. This was an exceptional conversation. Um, I love that you're in our backyard in Austin as well. And just thank you for being here. This is great. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to do this in person. Indeed. Awesome. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.